want to share something tonight that's in Revelation chapter 2, verse 17. Chapter 2, verse 17 of Revelation. Mm. I was going to share something else, but Gloria just gave me a, a word. She says, I think you should probably share this. So that's where we're going tonight. I got to trust in Gloria. She hears from God too. Amen. Thank you. All right, let's go to this verse. Have we got it here? <clears throat> there we go. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give him some of the hidden manna to eat. And I will give him a white stone, and on the stone a new name written, which no one knows except him who receives it. Amen. Amen. Of the seven churches that receive a letter of revelation from Jesus, every one of those churches has this, this, this statement, he who hears, let him hear what the Spirit says. That's like the, um, I'm failing with English tonight, so you have to bear with me, okay? But that's like the, the, the precondition to receive a, a promise. He starts by saying, listen to what the Holy Spirit is saying to the churches. And tonight, while I'm sharing, I want you to listen not just to me, but especially what the Holy Spirit's going to say to you. He's already here, and he's already ministering in such a powerful way. I was so blessed tonight in worship. How many of you were blessed? Would you say an amen loud, please? That sounds more like chili. Okay. All right. And so what we're doing is I'm just going to watch what the Holy Spirit is doing. Try to watch him. And if, if he interrupts, I, I'm very happy with that. We're just going to kind of release the reins and let him just, just go wherever he wants to go tonight. Amen. So Every one of those letters begins, would you just maintain that verse up there one more time? Okay. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says. When I was in seminary, they used to tell us in our preaching class, you had to learn how to preach really well because if not, you wouldn't get a very big church. Not too many people would come to hear you. So they taught us how to preach very, very well. It's so contrary to the New Testament. Because preaching in the New Testament was not three points in a song at the end. Preaching in the New Testament was just telling your story. And as they would tell the story about what Jesus had done or what they had seen, because it's first of all, taste and see. It's experience and then understand. And as they would tell their experience about Jesus, what would convince the people of their story, of their message, was not the rational way we do it today, where we have to put everything in order and we try to rationally convince the people that what I'm saying is makes sense. In the New Testament, when they would share their stories, 
what convicted and convinced the people of what they're saying is true is that their words were followed by signs and wonders. The presence and the power of God. And many, many believed because the kingdom came when they shared. Amen? Amen. So I've lived long enough now as a pastor to know that, that um, what they taught me in seminary was not necessarily right. Because most of the time, in Sunday morning when I preach in our church, sometimes people will come up and say, what you said was incredible. And I'll ask him, what did I say? And they'll tell me something I never said. Because the Holy Spirit spoke to them his message. So he that has ears, don't listen to me. Listen to what the Spirit says tonight. And the promise is in, to him who overcomes. That's the uh, precondition to this. To him who overcomes, I will give. And in every one of those seven letters, there's promises to everyone who overcomes. And who has ears to hear, ears to hear. So I'm going to talk about those three promises that are right there. Uh, I will give some to some of the hidden manna to eat. And I will give him a white stone and a stone with a new name written, which no man knows except he who receives. So first of all, the word overcome is always kind of had a different kind of connotation in the past to me. It was like something you had to do to strive and just, just push in, push in, push in. And, and there is credit to, to our responsibility for seeking him. I totally agree with that. Totally agree. But in my mind, it was always like just pressing, 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 just striving, striving, striving. And then about two years ago, in one of these events that we did in the southern part of Chile with the young people, uh, we were organizing a camp already. Uh, this was like, I think it was then for 2017. And, um, and according to uh, all of our marketing guys, what we were expecting was a major disaster. Because we had all kinds of problems with the publicity got out really, really, really late. And one of the guys who professionally uh, just is a friend of mine, professionally is a marketing guy. He just called me inside. He says, this is going to be a disaster. You know, nobody's going to come. And, and, he, and he says, and this is going to produce a huge debt. And he looks at me and he says, who's going to pay this debt? And I said, I am. You know, just... And it, it really, with all exterior ways of looking, it looked like it was going to be a huge disaster. And so I went to bed many nights. It was just not being able to sleep, toss and turn. I know you guys never go through anything like that, but I'm just talking to myself. But And I was just you know, full of fear, fear. And just thinking about, there goes my retirement and all this stuff, you know, just out the window. And, and in the midst of that, we had to do this youth event in the South. And I remember just before the event started, I was staying in a pastor's home, and he gave me a bedroom to stay in. So I closed the door, and I just said, I 
can't go on anymore like this, God. Why? Why am I so afraid? What's happening in me? And I was, when I was praying, I had this like vision of a video that I saw years ago. And maybe I would imagine most of you have seen this video. It was of a father who had a paraplegic son. And the son says, I want to run the marathon. You remember that? Anybody seen that video? The, the miracles, I found it on YouTube. You know, that, I'm not too computer literate, but I found it. And it's, it's all about the father who's just, you know, his son's, so I want to go do a marathon. So the father trains in spite of having a heart condition. And he, he, there's, you know, pictures of him and videos of him pushing the wheelchair of his son and, and crossing the marathon line. And there's a huge celebration. You're crying. And then the son says, I'm going to do another one. So finally, they got to the Iron Man. And the father trains for that, shows, you know, Im images of him training for that, pushing uh, the wheelchair, riding on a bike. And so finally in the event, you know, he swims and he's pulling his son along in a little raft. And then he goes to his bicycle. And, and it's just, I'm, I'm crying the whole time. And it's over with, and, you know, this celebration, and, and I'm crying. And I said, I got to see it again. So I saw it three times. Every time I cried. And when it was done, I said, okay, what does this mean, God? What are you trying to tell me? And God said this. You've been pushing me in a wheelchair towards your goals. When you like to change positions, I let me push you. And then I cried even more. Oh, yes. I mean, I mean, I was really, really flattened and broken by it. But it was such, oh, God, yeah, I'll give it to you. And to me, when I read this passage now, he who overcomes, it has a different meaning. It's this. This is my version. He who is first overcome by my love will overcome. When's the last time you've ever been overcome by the Father's love? It's not all about striving. It's all about surrendering. Mm. Laying your head on the breast of the Father. And allowing his love to overcome you. I can still remember that. When I was just a little boy. And we'd have visitors come to our house. And like very most parents, I had to go to bed at 8 o'clock at night. I suppose it was about that time. Mom would send me upstairs. Get your pajamas on. It's time to go to bed. And I would go and I would say, oh, there's visitors. And I'll come on. My, my uncle's here. And upstairs so I go upstairs and put my pajamas on then I'd sneak down stairs and peek behind the stair door and my dad would see me and he'd go and he'd be in a rocking chair and I still remember this I could sit on his lap lay my head down on his chest and even hear the voice of my dad speaking 
through the chest into my ear and fall asleep. Being overcome by God's love. That's what it's all about. I used to beat myself up so much when I would pray and, yeah, I got to get in and pray, pray, and I still do. I used to beat myself up so much until just recently because some of those times I get up early or whatever and, and fall asleep while I'm praying. And, oh, man, you know, just not even one hour, you know, just. And then God spoke to me. He says, your dad never beat you up for falling asleep in his arms. It's being overcome by his love. He who overcomes, to me, has already been overcome by his love. And in that, there are several promises. So first of all, I just want to say, like tonight, when's the last time we've just been broken by God's love? Just over, overwhelmed. Yeah. There's no better place to be. One of the promises that he says here, he that overcomes, I will give some of the hidden manna to eat. In my home in Indiana, when we would celebrate Christmas, we had it, of course, on Christmas morning. And chili, it's Christmas Eve. That's when they opened the gifts. My first culture shock was that. I was in Antofagasta, the driest desert in the world, Christmas Eve, pure sand. And I heard literally on the radio, Bing Crosby singing, I'm dreaming of a white Christmas. <laughs> and I cried my eyes out, you know, like. I... <laughs> and my Chilean father explained to me, now this is the way we do Christmas here. We're going to have all of our kids and grandkids in tonight. We're going to have a celebration at 10 o'clock. We're going to eat. They eat late in Chile. We're going to have a big dinner tonight. And then after the dinner, we're going to open the gifts. And I didn't say it, but in me it was like, no, you don't do that on Christmas Eve. We do it on Christmas morning. So I objected until they gave me my gifts, and I was okay after that. <laughs> But in Indiana, on Christmas morning, we get up and our tradition was dad would always save the best and the biggest gift till last. And he would hide it somewhere, not under the Christmas tree. So we all knew that my brother and I, the first gifts were socks. Thank you, mom, for the socks. So nice of you. Pajamas or whatever. But we're all waiting for the big one. And so I remember one year, I was about 10 or 11 years old, and Dad hid this gift so well. It took me, I, I thought it was 30 minutes anyhow, trying to find the gift. I couldn't find it. And every time I run back into the living room, and he would be in his chair, and he just smiles, and says, it's here. You just got to find it. You just got to find it. So finally, I found it in the attic. And it was a bicycle. And I want to say this to start with. First of all, the Father has not hidden revelation from you. 
but for you. Thank you, Gloria. Amen. <laughs> he doesn't hide it from us. He hides it for us. Who are the ones that find it? The hungry. The hungry. Knowing that manna is revelation. Manna is the face of the Father. It's what feeds us. And you are what you eat. How many of you heard that on television? So what you feed your spirits is what you become. And every day I can either have milk or meat. Milk is a digested food that comes from the mother's breast to the baby. It's already been eaten, digested, and transfused to the baby. And most of us are very content with reading a book or hearing a sermon, something that's already been digested and flows to us. Whereas meat is giving, given to the hunters. He who overcomes, I will give him hidden manna. Not from you, before you. Yeah. And part of that manna is more than revealing just truths. It's revealing him. It's revealing him. It's revealing his face to us. You know, that's what presence means. Amongst various words in Hebrew for presence, the presence of God, it means the face of God. The face of God. So what feeds me, what encourages me and strengthens me is seeing hidden manna, more revelation of him. Yeah. Recently, neurologists have discovered there's, there's a tiny little gland in a human mind. If you hear me stumbling over English, just ask for the gift of interpretation of tongues. It'll come, okay? I'm mixing my English with Spanish terribly, but that's okay, all right? So, <laughs> so this little gland is responsible for an emotion called joy. And this gland is triggered like in the context of a baby when mommy or daddy holds their baby and they make all these cute and weird faces at the baby. <laughs> and that gland in the brain of the baby is triggered and smiles, produces joy, sometimes giggles. That has a whole new connotation. When we look at this, when Moses and Aaron prayed this prayer, when he said, now may the Lord make his face to shine upon you. Because in his presence, there's abundance of joy. His presence triggers joy in me. I can see his face, and it's a face that not only forgives, it's not a face that only approves or qualifies us. It's not just a face that says, I love you, but it's a face that celebrates you as a child of God. Amen? Amen. 
So in his presence is an abundance of joy. One of the things that the presence does is that it also, in his presence, I wear the aroma of him. I don't know if I said that right or not. My dad passed away about five years ago. In fact, it was mentioning this a little bit today about his shirts, which I just happen to have one. <clears throat> and uh, every time I go home, especially in, the, in Indiana in the wintertime, I, I don't take shirts with me because dad's always had a lot of flannel shirts. And to this day, when I put on one of his shirts, I smell dad. When you're in his presence, his aroma impregnates you. Yeah. You smell like that. Amen? Amen. And in his presence, you smell home. Even when I go to Indiana and step into my house, my house in Indiana smells like my home. Every home has a peculiar smell. Some are worse than others. But mine's really good, you know. You just know when you're in his presence, you're at home with the Father. And you see his face, and his aroma fills you and impregnates you. And people can see Daddy and smell Daddy on you. That's why mm, people follow Jesus. It wasn't just because he preached well or taught well or they loved his parables. But the amazing thing about Jesus is that he carried the aroma of the Father. And not only the aroma, he was the second Adam. So that in him, everything was restored. And in him, like in the first Adam, when we created in the image and, and in... Uh, Likeness, thank you, <laughs> of God. It's like that people would see Adam and Eve, they would see God. And they lost that in the fall. But the second Adam came and everywhere he went, people saw God. They didn't see a church. They saw God. Even the apostle John says, we've seen him, we've touched him, we've heard him. Mm. It's him. That's why people follow Jesus. Because they saw God and he carried the aroma of the Father. Yeah. Last night, I talked to you a little bit about that. I won't do it so much now, but Bob, again, Bob Bradbury, when I took him to, to Paraguay and he was in this, this uh, soccer field and all the kids were being falling under the power of the Holy Spirit. The following days, everywhere he would get close to that area, kids would come out of their houses. And they want to take his hand or they pull on his pants and they would all say this, quiero mas, quiero mas, quiero mas, which means I want more, I want more. They could see daddy on him. The daddy that most of them never had. And smell the aroma of heaven. Yeah.
So that's what we're called to. When we're overwhelmed and overcome by the love of the Father, that's what it means to be in his presence. Amen. So one of those things is manna, revelation. The second thing that comes as a promise from that is it says, I will give him a white stone. If you know anything about the Old Testament history, about how the, the high priest made decisions, he wrote, Warren, I'm going to have to have your help pin on this word, an ephod, is that what you call it? A breastplate. And on that breastplate, the high priest would wear, there were 12 stones, each stone representing a tribe of Israel. And over his heart, he was supposed to, to carry these stones to represent and minister before God for Israel. But behind this breastplate, there was a little leather pouch and it had two stones in it, a black one and a white one. So if he couldn't hear God and didn't know what to decide about a decision, finally he would come to the conclusion he just needed to throw the stones or draw, draw the stones out to find out. If he drew out a black one, it was no from God. If he drew out a white one, it meant yes. It's that easy. And it was such a traditional thing that even in the British court system, years and years and years and years and years later, they adopted this. So the jury, each juryman or juryman woman had a black stone and a white stone in her hand. And so the person that was being accused or defended, the jury would have to make up the decision if he was innocent or if he was guilty. And so a bag was passed around and each jurist was put in the, the bag. If he was guilty, they put a black stone in. If he was Innocence, declared innocent, they put a white stone in. And this has tremendous significance. When God says, in your hand, he who is overcome by my love, I will give him manna. I'll reveal myself. I will give him manna. Jesus, the man of God that comes from heaven, I will overwhelm you with my presence. You smell the aroma of home. You see, because Jesus didn't come just to forgive our sins and just to get us to heaven. He brought heaven to us and in us to manifest himself through us. Yeah. And so he says, and I put in your hand a white stone. What does that mean? It means very simply this. You've been justified. You're innocent before him. There's no more charges against you. Just as when Israel left Egypt and God opened the, white, the, the Red Sea. I said the White Sea. <laughs> the Red Sea. And they crossed over the dry land and they looked back and the Red Sea covered up not only the enemy, but it blocked the path of ever having to go back again. And when you've come into Christ, you don't come to the cross, you come through the cross. So that now you're a new creation. You've been not only forgiven, but transformed by him. And you're not going to heaven only, but heaven is coming to you and wants to manifest himself through you. Yeah. 
So the white stone is given in your hand. It's like saying this, run, Forrest, run. You're all right now. Come on. Let's get on with what I called you really to do. And what he's called you to do is not sit in church. He's called us back to original design. And the original design is that we be made in the likeness and image of him so that when people see us, they can see daddy on the streets through us. They can sense the aroma of heaven on us. Yeah. And the only way you're going to discover that is to start doing it outside is to be the church outside the four walls praise God I believe that there's I'm beginning to be a Pentecostal now let's go I need some applause on that all right come on let's go in Matthew 27 there's a verse there that I very seldom ever heard any sermons on but it's all about the signs that happen in the moment of Jesus crucifixion we know that the curtain was torn. Just as the heavens were torn open the day that Jesus was baptized. The word torn there means violently. It means split. There's no way you can pin it up again. And not only that, but the, 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 the sun was hidden. And the earth shook. That means crucifixion happened in Chile. Because it's the only nation in the world that keeps shaking all the time. <laughs> and not only the earth shook. But the Bible says that the tombs of the dead saints. The rocks were split open. Yeah. And the tombs of the dead saints. And the dead saints were resurrected and appeared in the streets. If you want to ask me what a verse is for what God is trying to do today, it's this one. He is splitting open the temples that we hide in, resurrecting the saints so that we can appear on the, on the streets and announce the kingdom is now here. Yeah. It's time. It's so time. It's so time. It's so time. Yeah. This is a white stone in your hand. Stop saying, I'm not qualified. Look at what's in your hand. It's a white stone that says, run, run, run. The only thing that qualifies you is not the preparation, although that helps. There's only one word that qualifies you to do what God has called you to do because everything that God calls us to do humanly is impossible. And the word that qualifies us is this one, is yes, 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 yes. When God called me to preach, I was 19 years old. I was so full of complexes, inferiority complexes and all that you can imagine because one, I was small for my size. So every time I go out for basketball or football, the coach would say you're too scrawny you're too little just go home and then I had a slight speech impediment it wasn't very big but every time someone would ask me why did you say I didn't get that and then comes the bullying the laughing and so so I wouldn't feel ridiculous I just didn't talk 
So my worst class in high school was called speech. I was like, I didn't even believe in God, but I would have believed for the rapture in that time. <laughs> and I just was like, oh, man. So when God called me to preach, I was 19. We were in a prayer meeting with with nine other guys. We didn't know how to pray. We didn't even know how to read the Bible. We just knew converts during the Jesus movement. We're hungry for God. We chose the leader because he was the biggest one. You know, you're going to lead us. And he came up with this idea after we studied the Bible, which was ridiculous. The Bible study was like this. Okay, Roger, Mark 3, verse 6. Read it and tell me what you think. And I read the verse, stuttering. And, uh, and he said, okay, what does that mean to you, Roger? What it says. Very good, Roger. Phil, now you read verse 7. That was the, the depths of our Bible study. And we end up in this prayer meeting where everybody had to, you know, hold hands. And the leader said, everybody's got to pray one by one. And Roger's going to end because I was always the last one. And I know this never happened to you, but... In this Bible or this, this prayer meeting, they would start praying. And about the second guy would say, I was going to pray that. What I, man, I don't have anything to pray. And they're going around and I'm sweating. And they finally get around to me and I'm saying, God, everything he said, amen. That was it, you know. And one of those nights, God just, I, we didn't have language for it. We didn't know what was happening. But the Holy Spirit just, he came over us. And then it wasn't praying in turns. Everybody was crying. Snot was flying all over the place. And um, one of the guys that was going to study law, he had just received a scholarship to Duke University. He had it in his pocket. And he said, God, here it is. I give it to you. If this is what you don't want me to do, I give it to you. I only want to live for you. Whatever you call me to do, God, that's, that's okay with me. And I'm going, oh, my God. I've never heard anybody pray like that. Then another one out of turn starts sobbing. He says, God, I, I, my dating relationship's not of you. I know that. And tonight, before you and my friends, I'm cutting it off. I'm listening to these prayers, and I'm going, Wow. And out of impulses, this, you know what happens when the Holy Spirit gets a hold of you, you just kind of get bold. And so I go out of turn and I'm just saying this, God, if you would have sent me as a missionary anywhere, here am I. And I'm thinking, please don't hear me. Please don't hear me. <laughs> but he did. <laughs> and it was within a day or two that God called me to preach. I'll never, ever, 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 ever forget this. I argued six months with God. You're crazy. Me? Preach? I can't even speak to one person. God, no, you got the wrong guy. How many of you know if you argue with God, you always lose? You always lose. Six months after I could take you to the very spot in my grandfather's woods in Indiana, sitting on a log on a trunk while it was snowing out just before Christmas vacation. I said, yes. If you can use someone that can't even speak, then I'd rather do what I believe you're calling me to do than regret the rest of my life that I never did it.
And I went home. And again, it was like on that trunk, I can still remember. It's like, again, the Holy Spirit. I went home. I talked to my mom. That was probably the first mistake. Because she cried. She hugged me. She says, I always knew it. (laughs) And then... She picks up the telephone. Yeah, I was born in a town of 800 people. There are only two churches in town, and the poor pastor never got a break. So she calls the pastor, and I'm hearing her. You got to know my mom to know this. She says, Pastor, Rogers called to preach. When are you going to give him the pulpit? And I'm dying, 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 dying. And he said, next month. And I go, oh, my God. So I wrote my sermon. And Saturday night before I preached, I went to that little church. It's a Methodist church, traditional. Probably had a capacity, seating capacity for about 200 people, stained glass windows, the whole bed. And I turn out the lights. And over the pulpit, there's a little tiny light. And... Uh, and I preached my sermon four times until all the pews got saved. It was glorious. I said, come on, come on forward. No, just stay there. It's okay. And I pray over them. And the next day, Sunday morning, this little tiny church usually had 60, maybe 70 on Sunday morning. There were 150 my mom. <laughs> to begin to call all my aunts and uncles and grandpas and ex-classmates. And, and I just, I remember getting through about two sentences and my mind went totally blank. I didn't know what to do except just smile on my nervousness. And again, I had no language for this, but again, and I left my notes. I just began to preach. And about 10 minutes later, my aunt Martha, she began to cry. And then another one and another one. And before long, it looked to me like the whole church was crying. And when I saw them crying, I cried too. I didn't know what to do. Never seen anybody get saved in my church. So clumsily, I gave this service over to the pastor. He sang it a hymn and killed everything, but he finished the meeting. (laughs) And I sat down, and as I sat down, I heard God say this. That's all I wanted to hear was a yes. And the second thing is I discovered that God healed me of my speech impediment. Look at your hands. Look at it. There's a white stone there. It's God's approval. Go. Go. Many are called. Very few are chosen. Are the chosen ones the ones that say, Yes. And the last one, I'll finish with this. I've gone over time.
How many give you? Well, give me two minutes. Yeah. Two, four, six, eight, ten. Okay, I'll make this very short. The last verse, last part of the verse. On the stone, the white stone says justified. We could go into that on and on and on. But it says, a new name is written, which no one knows except the one who receives it. It's out of that intimacy with the Father, being overwhelmed and overcome by his love, receiving manna, knowing my position in him. It's not that I have to go to the cross, but I've gone through the cross. And now I'm a new creation. I look like daddy, and I'm called to do the works of daddy. Tomorrow morning, I'll speak about that. But on that stone, there's a new name that's revealed. It's an intimate name. I used to think that I'll know that name when I go to heaven. And I really believe, yes, but I also believe I can know it now. It's an intimate name. When my daughter was born, just before she was born, well, when she was born, I wanted to give her this name, Sunshine. Because that's kind of her personality. She walks into a room and it's just, Barbie's here. That's her name now. But I changed her name because Sunshine, you'd have to explain to every Chilean what Sunshine means. You'd have to translate that. So we didn't want to embarrass her, so I gave, we gave her another name, which is Barbara Nicole. But we call her Barbie. But to this day, most of the time, when I speak to her on the phone, I say, and how's Sunshine? She knows what that name means to me. And that's an intimate name from her daddy to her. Even when he danced to end her wedding, I picked that song. Sunshine on my shoulder makes me happy. I'm not John Denver, but I like to sing it. <laughs> Do you know that daddy has given you a new name? Not what others have called you, not what your parents have called you, not even how you've seen yourself, but his name for you. How many of you remember the Chronicles of Narnia? The first movie, that's my favorite. My favorite actor is the Beavers. And then there's Lucy. You remember? Before they met the lion Ashlam, their real nature kind of was revealed. But after they meet the lion, Peter, the coward, becomes the brave. And my favorite scene of all is at the very last when they're in a palace and the beavers saying, and now I present Peter the Magnificent. And I'm crying. And then they get the Lucy and I cry even more. <laughs> it's because what we are now is not the way the Father sees us. Can I say this? <laughs> Satan knew who Jesus was when he came. 
but he never knew what he was going to do. And that's why he can never foretell. He only accuses us of our past. But the Father shouts our destiny over us. And your destiny is revealed in your new name. And that's to be revealed in the intimacy with him. So I'm going to end finally. The worship team will come. And let's just do this tonight. Just come and let the Father love on you. You don't have to do anything except just come and be overwhelmed by his love. And that overwhelming love makes me become an overcomer. And to he who hears what the Spirit says and overcomes, I will give hidden manna, a revelation of the Father, and I will give a white stone in his hand. Can you look at your hands one more time? It's there. That stone is there. And that stone from heaven declares you innocent, justified. And from the Father it says, now let's run. Let's run. The nations are waiting for the manifestation of the sons and daughters of God. You're it. Stop praying for the city if you're not willing to be the answer to that prayer. The white stone's already in your hand. You're already qualified. So let's just stand and let's end. Thank you, Jesus. So, so good. Yeah. Worship you, Father. So my invitation tonight is not to come and get something. It's not an impartation. It's just you coming to present yourself to the Father <clears throat> and allowing him to sit you on his lap where you can rest your head upon his breast. Do the hard work of resting and allow him to speak to you. He who hears let him hear what the Spirit says because he has hidden manna not from you, but for you. For you. 1 John 3, 2. Because when we see him, we shall be like him. Hmm. Holy Spirit, come now. Reveal your heart. Reveal your face. Because in your presence, there's such an abundance of joy. And your joy is our strength. So if you'd like to, just come on up front. Sit in Daddy's lap. Let him hug you. 
and let him speak over you tonight. And hold out your hands because in that hand is a white stone and your name is written on that stone. Come on, just come on up front and we're just gonna worship. I'll turn it over to you guys.